By way of announcement, we have just a couple announcements. Uh, men, remember this Saturday at 8 a.m., we will have men's prayer here. Afterward, it will be uh, fellowship and eat somewhere. So, don't miss it. Amen. Also, right after that is daylight savings time. Yay! Those of you that don't have any automatic updates on your devices, be aware that that is this weekend. Amen. We lose an hour. You didn't need that hour anyway, right? (laughs) Amen. Let's all stand. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, ask him to bless his service this evening, that his perfect will would be accomplished. Amen. Lord Jesus, you are such an awesome God. You are a glorious, wondrous Savior. We heap glory and honor unto the Most High tonight. You are great and greatly to be praised. Hallelujah, Jesus. We do laud and magnify you this evening. We look forward to your presence here. We look forward to the ministration of your spirit in this place, the manifestation of your will, your heart, Here tonight, oh hallelujah Jesus, I am so excited for what you have in store for us tonight. Help us Lord Jesus to hear your voice, to feel your touch. I pray Lord Jesus that you would speak to your people this evening, that you would minister in this place and not a man. Oh hallelujah Jesus, we are gathered here tonight to hear your words, to entertain your presence, to wait upon you, the Lord our God. Hallelujah, Jesus. We pray that all of your heart would be accomplished here in this evening tonight, and that your great and mighty name would be glorified in our midst. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Psalm 8 and 4. We read the psalmist is asking a question. The question is this, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Tonight we're going to be talking about the doctrine of man. Why are we here? What part in God's master plan do we serve? Uh, What is that specifically? Why do we have this form? Why didn't he create us spirits? We're going to hopefully we'll answer at least some of those tonight. I had to split this up into two messages. Uh, So we'll cover most of it tonight, the remainder of it next Wednesday. Amen. I was trying to find some poems or stories that would kind of go along with this. And probably not surprisingly, old Bill Shakespeare popped out and uh, he has a few good, uh, a few good poems relating to man, the condition of man. And I suppose before I go any farther, I should say that when I say man or mankind, I do mean women as well. It's good enough in the King James. It's it's good enough for my grandpappy. It's good enough for me tonight. Amen. When I say men, I mean humanity. All-encompassing. So everyone's included here. Mr. Shakespeare, in As You Like It, says this. All the world is a stage. 
and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts. His acts being seven ages, at first the infant, mewling (laughs) and puking in the nurse's arms. Doesn't sound very sophisticated, Shakespearean, but continuing. Then the whining schoolboy with a satchel and shining morning face, creeping like a snail unwillingly to school. And then the lover, sighing like furnace with a woeful ballad made to his mistress's eyebrow. Then a soldier, full of strange oaths and bearded like the pard, jealous in honor, sudden and quick in quarrel, seeking the bubble reputation even in the cannon's mouth. And then the justice, in fair round belly with a good cap on lined, with eyes severe and beard a formal cut, full of wise saws and modern instances, and so he plays his part. The sixth age shifts into the lean and slippered pantaloon with spectacles on nose and pouch on side. His youthful hose well saved, a world too wide for his shrunk shank, and his big manly voice turning again toward childish treble pipes and whistles in his sound. Last scene of all that ends this strange eventful history is second childishness and mere oblivion. Sans teeth, sans eyes, sans taste. Sons, everything. And in Shakespeare's Macbeth, we read this, a little shorter. A walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Is that the condition of man? Are we just popping into existence? playing our part on the stage and then exiting forever? Is that the best we have to look forward to? Well, the psalmist asked a question very similar to that. What is man? God, that you are mindful of him. The psalmist being well aware of his condition, his present state, as being earthy, as being temporal, weak, Subject to all the foibles of this world. Very easily destroyed. And in that state of weakness, in that state of constant fighting, probably against his own nature, he calls out to God, Why do you even care about us? Why are you even why is your eye upon us so so significantly? Well, he continues. Verse 5 says, For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. So we see, at least in our original state, one of our purposes was to have dominion over God's creation. Because of the fall, however, we see something added to that. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews quoting this verse says this, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, 
who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Originally, we were given dominion over everything. But we relinquished that. Presently, Jesus has purchased it back. Jesus has dominion of all things. Okay, moving forward in this study, we're going to see some things that are true about man, some things that are not true about man. Uh, Hopefully it will give us a, a, a clearer picture of why God decided that He needed to create us in the first place. Have you ever wondered that? I've wondered oftentimes, why am I here? I haven't had occasion, though, to wonder, why are people here? Why are people here? The first thing we need to understand, we read in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So we see here that man is a created being. We did not evolve from a rock, from a plant, from a lower life form. We were created, and we'll go more into specifically how man was created in a little bit. But we need to understand that we are created by God. We didn't just slowly come into existence from previous made material. Okay, I know I've covered this topic ad nauseum. I will add one more quote to this. A couple more quotes to this. And then we'll move on. This is from Dr. Paul Brand. He was the chief of the rehabilitation branch of the U.S. Public Health Service, a professor of surgery, and he's speaking here about the gene's chemical code, DNA, specifically how the DNA maintains how everything propagates after its kind according to Genesis chapter 1, preventing the evolution of any kind into another kind. Okay, and he says this, All living matter is basically alike. A single atom differentiates animal blood from plant chlorophyll. How fascinating is that? Yet the body senses infinitesimal differences with an unfailing scent. It knows its hundred trillion cells by name. To complicate the process of identity, the composite of me, bone cells, fat cells, blood cells, muscle cells, differs entirely from my components ten years ago. Every cell in my body has been replaced by new cells, except for nerve cells and brain cells, which are never replaced. Thus, my body is more like a fountain than a sculpture, maintaining its shape, but is constantly being renewed. Somehow, my body knows the new cells belong, and they are welcomed. What moves the cells to work together? The secret to membership lies locked away inside each cell nucleus, chemically coiled in a strand of DNA. Once the egg and sperm share their inheritance, the DNA chemical ladder splits down the center of every gene, much as the teeth of a zipper pull apart. DNA reforms itself each time the cell divides, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32 cells, etc., each with the identical DNA. 
Along the way, cells specialize, but each cell carries the entire instruction book of 100,000 genes. DNA is estimated to contain instructions that, if written out, would fill 1,600-page books. The DNA is so narrow and compacted that all the genes in all my body cells would fit into an ice cube. Yet if DNA were unwound and joined together end to end, the strand would stretch from Earth to the sun and back more than 400 times. A nerve cell may operate according to instructions from volume 4 and a kidney cell from volume 25, but both carry the whole compendium. It provides each cell's sealed credential of membership in the body. Every cell possesses a genetic code so complete that the entire body could be reassembled from the information in any one of the body's cells. The designer of DNA went on to challenge the human race to a new and higher purpose, membership in his own body. In reality, I become genetically like Christ himself because I belong to his body. Amen. Well said. Later, evolutionists came up with the hypothesis of evolution by mutations, seeking to uh, negate this fact. This is popularly called neo-Darwinism. Perhaps you've heard that term. This hypothesis is also replete with scientific and logical problems of its own. I will mention two quickly and move on. Mutations are almost universally detrimental to, not, to life. 99.999% of mutations are all either harmful or fatal to human life, life in general. But even when they're beneficial, mutations are always the result of a loss of information, not a gain. We need more information to get to higher life forms, not less. So, for example, when that COVID-19 starts to mutate and becomes immune to the vaccine or your antibodies or bacteria mutates and becomes immune to an antibiotic, that's because they're losing information. They're losing that part of their gene structure that it makes them susceptible to that. It ends up working in their benefit, but it's a loss of information, not a gain. So that, that doesn't help us here at all. Moving on. We were created unique from the rest of God's created order. There are three Hebrew words that are used in Genesis 1 and 2 to describe our creation. And I will not pronounce these correctly. Bara, B-A-R-A-A, which means the production or effectuation of something new, rare, and wonderful. I like that. Asa means to form, to construct, to prepare, or to build. And yatsar means to form or shape, as a potter forms a vessel out of clay. So we read the scripture text as follows. In Genesis 1.27, when it says, Let us make man, that's Asa, we see that God constructed man in conformity with his own image. In Genesis 1.27, So God created man, that's bara, God created man as something new and wonderful in his overall purpose. In Genesis 2 and 7 says the Lord God formed man, Yatsar. He forms man using the earth as a potter forms a vessel out of clay. Man is made out of the earth, but he is infused with God's breath. He was made unique amongst all the living creatures in God's creation. Because every other creature was spoken into existence. And God said, and there they were. That's it. Nothing else happened. But with man, 
He took the time to come down and with his own hands. He formed man from the dust of the ground. And then he did something else. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The very essence of God was used to create mankind. Why are you special? Why are you the apple of God's eye? It's because He created you that way. He created you special. He loves you. He took five words to, 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 to describe the entire universe, and He made the stars also. Six words. Second time's a charm. Six words to, to, to describe Him creating the whole universe. But the rest of the book talks about his relationship with you and me. That's how focused he is on you, on humans, on mankind. He created you unique and special for that very reason. God created you to be like him. Not to be him, but to be like him. Man is of the earth, but is created for fellowship with God. Okay, we are, the, we are the result of divine purpose. In Isaiah 43 and 7, the Bible says, Everyone that is called by my name, I'm sorry, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Genesis 1.26, we've already read, says that God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Okay. So again, we see that uh, we were created unique. We were created specifically for God. By His hands, He breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. This demonstrates that man was intended to be special to God above every other created being. We see in these verses that God takes counsel with Himself to create man and to give him a purpose. To have fellowship with our Creator. To give God glory and to have dominion over His creation. To have fellowship with our Creator. To give God glory. To have dominion over His creation. God's creative purpose. We are part of God's creative purpose. In a few places, Paul refers to this counsel, the counsel and purpose of God relating specifically to us. In Ephesians 1, chapters 4 and I'm sorry, verses 4 and 5. Be a long read. It says this, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Before God created anything, we were already present in His mind, in His creative purpose. We were already present. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, Who hath saved us? I'm sorry, uh, verse 5, Ephesians chapter 1. Having predestinated us according unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. All right, 2 Timothy 1.9 says, Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, 
which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So Jesus had a purpose. He had a purpose. He had a plan. He had a will before anything was ever spoken into existence. And we were a part of that purpose. We were a part of that. Titus 1 and 2 says, In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. In John 17 and 24, this is Jesus speaking. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. So in these two verses, we see more specifically God's redemptive plan was already in place way before we needed it. We see here referenced by the Apostle the idea that God had this planned out before the creation week. It was all planned out. And we were a part of that plan. We were a part of that purpose. Amen. So now we understand the following. Man is created by God. Not evolved. He didn't use theistic evolution. He was created. Man of all of God's created beings received the breath of God. We were created unique, special, one of a kind. We stand out amongst all of God's creation as being unique, as being special, the pinnacle of God's creation, the apple of His eye. God didn't suffer on a cross and die for donkeys or goats or lambs. Not even precious Fido. And we love Fido. But he didn't die for Fido. He died for you. He died for me. We are formed in God's image. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. We are created for God's glory. For His good pleasure. We are created to give glory and honor to God. It's interesting that... Even whatever your worldview is, you're a secular humanist, you're a, a Buddhist, you're a, whatever it is. It's interesting that no matter what your belief system is, no matter what your worldview, your philosophy on life is, everybody is driven to worship something. Everybody has something in their life that they worship. That's built into us, that's hardwired into us. We are going to be in service to something, to someone. We are going to worship something or someone. Everyone does. We have to. We can't help ourselves. It's hardwired into us. The object of our worship was always meant to be God. It was always meant to be Jesus Christ. That is the object of our that is the proper object of our worship. That is the proper object of, of our of our submission and to whom we need to do service to. Jesus Christ. Man was planned and designed in counsel with himself. Redemption for all of mankind was planned from the very beginning. Okay, we know even if we cannot understand that mankind 
created in God's image, would, even though fallen and in need of redemption by Jesus Christ, it would still fulfill the plan and purpose of God. Isn't that interesting? Okay, we were created in the image of God. What does that mean? Well, certainly not his physical image. He doesn't have a physical image. God is a spirit. He has no physical body. He's invisible. And it's interesting to note that Israel was expressly forbidden to make any graven image of God. Any physical representation of God was outlawed. It was not to happen. This is off topic. If God doesn't have a physical image, I wonder what caused him to settle on this particular form. I often thought it'd be much handier to have four or six hands, arms, four or six legs. It'd be a lot easier to keep my balance sometimes if I had four legs. Right? I want to be a little more expensive, yeah. True. But uh, I wonder why why he, he came up with this. I don't know. I don't have an answer. I'm just curious. But he did. We are created in God's personal image. Okay, God is a personal God. We understand that. God has an intellect. He plans. He communicates. He has a will. He designs. He creates. Spectacularly. Miraculously. And so do we. We have an intellect. It doesn't compare to God's. But we still have one. It's broken and it's, it's destroyed by sin. But we still have one. We can still at least understand what a logical argument is. We can, we can reason things out. We can make plans. We may forget them. But we can make them. We can create. Not ex nihilo like God can. But Brother Terry created this. Out of, ultimately, a tree. God made the tree. Brother Terry made the, the pulpit. So we can create. God has emotions. He gets angry. He gets disappointed. He loves. He hates. He feels sorrow and joy. Just like you and me. God is an emotional being. He's not purely logical. God, of course, is not ruled by his emotions. We sometimes are. God's not deceived by his heart. We are. Mankind is the only creature in all God's creation that can think abstractly. 
that can reason, that can feel emotion, that has free will. Every other created being operates on instinct. They're on autopilot. They do what they do because of instinct. They can't think. They can't decide to do something else. That's just how they're programmed. That's what they do. But you and I, we can choose. Some choices are easier than other choices. But we can choose. We can choose how we're going to respond to a situation. How we're going to react to a circumstance. God desires to communicate with mankind. And He has made it possible to do so. God desires for us to choose to love and worship Him. Now we've spoken about this before. This idea of free moral agency. We are the only creature in all of creation that has the ability to tell God no. But we're also the only creature in all of creation that can choose to tell God yes. We can choose that of our own volition, our own free will. All of, all of creation, it doesn't have a choice. The winds, the seas, the, the, they have to obey God. God speaks and they have no choice but to obey. God talks to you and me. And by the will and plan of God, He needs to wait for a response. Yes or no. Yes or no. But how wonderful it must be for God when we of our own free will choose to tell Him yes. When we choose to submit ourselves to Him. We choose to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we follow after Him with everything we got. How wonderful that must be for Him. Because that's why He created us. We were created to represent God to this world in our actions, our decisions, particularly our choice to serve God with our lives and our subsequent actions in following through with that choice. Because God is a personal God. He has a personal image. We were created to reflect that, to demonstrate that to this world. We were made in the image of God morally. God's inherent character is the basis of all morality. Why is it wrong to lie? Because God is a God of truth. It's against His nature to do that. Why does it displease God when we hate? Because God is a God of love. And that goes against His nature. Morality is based on God's inherent character. That's where we get our idea of right and wrong, good and evil. God is good. Anything that is not God or opposite of that is evil. As created beings created in His image, we also possess an inherent sense of right and wrong, i.e. morality. We all understand, again, doesn't matter what your worldview is, we all know inherently, foundationally, that there is a right and there is a wrong. We disagree, of course, on what is right and what is wrong. But the idea that there is a right, there are things that we ought to do, 
And there is a wrong. There are things we ought not to do. It's universal. Every society all through history have had a, 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 a codified set of laws. Every civilization has had that. Some things are right, some things are wrong. Some of those rules are, are whacked. They're crazy. But they're still there. Someone's saying, this is right, this is wrong. We were created inherently to do that. Mankind has, has a faculty that we call a conscience. We see this demonstrated all the way back in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned, what was the first thing they did? They hid themselves from the presence of God. They tried to cover themselves in fig leaves. Why? Because they felt guilty. They were convicted. They did wrong, and they knew it. That thing we call a conscience is still present today. For better or for worse. We failed God in the garden. We failed to listen to our conscience. Afterward, resulting in the flood, we failed to obey the Old Testament law. In all of this, though, we still had a foundational understanding that there was a right and there was a wrong. Despite the fact that we were unable or sometimes unwilling to submit ourselves to the law of God. Despite that, we still understood all the way back that there is a right and there is a wrong. Why is that? I promise you that we didn't evolve that way. There is no right and wrong out in nature. Okay? The animals, nature, there is no right and wrong. There is no thou shalt not kill in the jungle. When the lion attacks the zebra, there's not, there's not a hippopotamus out there with a badge waiting to arrest the lion. Okay? There is no right and wrong out there. Because they're dumb animals. They weren't created in the image of God. They have no sense of right and wrong. They have instinct. I'm hungry. It's time to eat. i got to eat. That's it. We were created to represent God to this world, and that includes representing Him morally. Now, when I talk about representing Him morally, I'm not talking about morals based on what the world is doing. The world is here, so if I just stay up here, I'm good. A thousand times, no. Our standard is God Himself. Our standard is Jesus Christ, the Word of God. I don't care where the world is. Way up here or way down here. I would rather they were way up here. But they're still not our standard. Jesus Christ is our standard. Again, it's His character that we base our morality on. That alone. And it's interesting to me that Jesus, when He walked on this earth, He never once 
betrayed that. He never once lowered his morality down just a little bit to, to, to uh, assuage someone's guilt, to make them feel better, uh, to make them feel included. He never did that once. The standard was always, it remained the same. And it was up to us if we were going to try to attain to that or no. The obvious example is the rich young ruler. He was doing all kinds of things right. And Jesus complimented him on that. And the Bible says that he loved this man. Jesus loved this rich young ruler. But when he told him the one thing that was wrong in his life, in his heart, his spirit, he loved money. So Jesus simply said, get rid of the money. Get rid of the problem. Cut off the offending member and follow me. He couldn't do it. Jesus revealed something about him that day, didn't he? We're going to encounter situations in our lives. Things that we don't want to know about ourselves. Jesus is going to hit us upside the head with it. And he'll present us with a choice. And it's going to be a hard choice for you to make. Do the right thing and continue to follow me? Or do the other thing? Do the thing that's easy for you, the thing that you want to do. The rich young ruler decided to walk away. And what did Jesus do? Jesus did absolutely nothing. Jesus let him walk away. He didn't run after him. He's rich. He could put a lot of money in the, in the church. He probably knows a lot, of, a lot of people in town. If we got him in church, man, we'd have revival. There are churches that think that way. But Jesus didn't lower his standards for one second, not even for, not even for this individual that he loved. He would rather let him walk away than compromise his standard of morality. And we need, to, we need to be able to make that same choice, folks. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've had to let friends go out of your life. You've had to let loved ones just walk out for one reason or another because of what you stand for, who you stand for. And that's a hard choice to make. But I'm telling you, it's the right choice. It's the right choice. As hard as it is. We can't allow ourselves to compromise morally. Not in any way. We're made in His image socially. God created us so that we would have fellowship with Him. He wants fellowship with us. He created us that way. That's one reason sin is so destructive. That's one reason God hates sin so desperately. One, because it destroys us, but also because it blocks, it separates us from a holy and a righteous God. When we have sin in our lives, God can't interact with us the way He wants to, the way He designed us to. He can't. 
He won't dwell where there's sin. We've got to get the sin out of our lives so that God can come back into our lives, so that He can have fellowship with us freely the way He wants to, the way He designed us to. He created us as social beings. He created us to have fellowship with Him first and foremost. If we don't have fellowship with anyone else, and again, this is hard for some people, but if for whatever reason we don't have fellowship with anyone else but God, that's enough. Jesus is enough for me. It's not always perfect. It's not always what I want. Sometimes I just want to talk to a dude. I want to just talk to someone who will hear me and I can see him and, and we, he can talk back. I mean, we all want that sometimes, don't we? Absolutely. We'll talk about that in a moment. But if I never have that, I have Jesus Christ. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He'll never leave me or forsake me. He created me to have fellowship with Him first and foremost. After that, He created us to be social. We're supposed to have fellowship one with another. Breaking of bread. House to house. That's a good thing. We ought to fellowship one with another. That's biblical. That's healthy. It's conducive to spiritual growth. Check, check, and check. Sounds good to me. We see that Almost immediately, God gave Adam a wife. Six of the Ten Commandments covered how we're to deal with our fellow man. We are to have communion with God, with our family, with our neighbors, with one another. But communion with God is the most important aspect of all of this. When our, communion, our communication with God breaks down, all other areas of social engagement break down as well. In marriage counseling, maybe you guys have heard this too, my wife and I, <clears throat> we're told this. It's like this triangle, right? Me and my wife at the bottom, God up here. And as we get closer to God, we get closer to each other. How awesome is that? Well, that's perfect. That's a perfect example. My focus isn't necessarily to get close to my wife. I want to. Okay, I do work on that. But my primary focus... My <laughs> See, you guys, i got to qualify everything with you. <laughs> oh, my word. Okay. Oh, my primary focus, our primary focus needs to be on God. We need to focus on Him. He's our first love. He's God not in our lives. I know people, I have friends. All they're focused on... I know, well,
No, he'll probably listen to this. We can't focus on people. Our primary focus is God. God created us for that purpose. He's the one that died for us. He's the one that established a relationship with us. He's the one that purchased us from the bondage of sin and death. He's the one that freed us, set us at liberty. He's the one that I owe my allegiance to. He's the one that I owe everything to. No one else. I'm going to have a relationship with you guys. I'm going to have a relationship with my wife. Whether you want it or not. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, I'm, it's, it's too late now. I'm just, I'll just keep going. <laughs> it's, it's too late. But we need to focus on that. Because if that relationship with Jesus Christ is broken, if that, if that gets disrupted in any way, every other relationship is going to suffer because of it. I'm focused on that. Communion with God is the most important aspect. When we maintain and grow a relationship with Jesus Christ, love is going to be our overarching motive. When we separate ourselves from God and from God's people, love is replaced by works of the flesh, by something else, something not conducive to a relationship with Jesus Christ. When I love Jesus and I'm focused on serving Him and developing a relationship with Him, well, the Bible says if we're, if we're attached to the vine, if we're attached to the vine, that life is going to be flowing through us. His characteristics will flow through us. The fruit of the Spirit will be manifest in our lives. That's what will take place if we're attached to the vine, if we have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. But if that gets severed, if we, and it's going to be us that allows that to happen. No one's catching God by surprise. We get severed from Him because we've allowed it. Or we got lax and lukewarm. Don't get lukewarm. Stay on fire. Stay hot. In this day and age, we can't afford to be anything but. We can't. There's just... There's too much at stake. There's eternities at stake. And to be perfectly frank, if you're not feeling the weight of that, then I, I would recommend a little more time in prayer. A little more time drawing closer to Jesus Christ. A lot of you do feel the weight of that. I'm very thankful for that. But if you don't, that's falling on deaf ears. Please pray. Please get close to God. As Christians, created in the image and likeness of God, we ought to be exhibiting His heart. Not just His characteristics, but His heart, His burden, His passions, His zeal. We represent that as well. 
What is God passionate about? People. And trust me, I'm an introvert. I don't much like people. Not by myself. Before I can... <laughs> there you go again. So here's my qualifier. <laughs> Before I got saved, I couldn't care less what was going on in people's lives. Leave me alone. I'll leave you alone. Everything's golden. Perfect. I could live my life like that. But after I got saved, something began to change in me. God put a new heart in me. I started feeling differently toward people. I started getting a burden for a few people. Can you imagine that? If the burden of Jesus Christ is for the lost, my burden should be for the lost. And if it's not, it's an easy fix. Get close to Jesus. Get attached to the vine. Let that flow through you. It's not my burden. It's God's burden. I didn't die for anyone. Jesus died for them. But God can let that burden flow through me. He can let His love flow through me into someone else's life. He can speak to that person through me. He can minister to that person through me. We have an awesome opportunity, in this dispensation especially. In previous dispensations, well, we know most about the Mosaic Law, the dispensation of law. That was a rough time to be in. Today is the dispensation of grace. Today, I don't have to go to a priest with my sacrifice. I don't have to sit outside the tabernacle while the high priest goes into the presence of God. I can go into the presence of God. The tabernacle is right here. God speaks through me, through you. God moves through us. He works through us. What a powerful time to be alive. What a powerful time to be in the church. This day that we're in, it's, it's wrapping up. Everything is wrapping up. I'm talking to my wife about this, this whole Ukraine thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I have mad respect for the president of the Ukraine. I, I respect his stance. I respect what he's doing there with his people. But I get really nervous when the whole world starts backing someone. And literally, the whole world is behind the Ukraine right now. And so, I don't know if I should be nervous or excited. I'm not saying he's going to be the Antichrist. But I'm saying the world is becoming united. And I know when that happens, things are getting ready to take place. So I'm just saying, things are forming up out there. Things are getting ready to close down. 
Whatever you're going to do for Jesus Christ, do it quickly. Strong finish. Anyone ever hear that? Anyone ever run track? Football? Leave it all out on the field. Don't bring anything back in with you. Fourth quarter. If I can encourage you at all, that's, this is the time to, to sprint into the finish line. This is the time to leave it all on the field. Don't hold anything back. Do what you need to do. Do what God has asked you to do. What He's created you to do. He's called you. He's created you. He's commissioned you. He's ordained you to represent Him. Every aspect of Him to this world. To demonstrate Him to this world. That is an awesome responsibility. It's an awesome privilege. What a high honor that is. To represent Almighty God to someone else. And to do it effectively. Amen. Let's all stand. Next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about the fall and we'll talk about grace, salvation. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, you're an awesome God. You're a mighty, wondrous, glorious Savior. I heap glory and honor unto you this evening. I am so thankful that you reached down where I was at, that you picked me up, you cleaned me off, you set me on my high place. Hallelujah, Jesus. I owe you everything. I owe you everything for all of eternity. Oh, I love you. I worship you. I praise you. I laud and I magnify you. Thank you, Jesus, that you created us. Not just that you created us, but that you created us with purpose. You had a plan for us before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah, Jesus. Help us, I pray, to fulfill that plan. Hallelujah, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you'd bless your people, minister to their needs, bring us back at the day appointed. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your kind attention. Remember prayer this Saturday. Amen. Don't forget to set your clocks forward. One hour. Yes. We lose an hour. You're dismissed.